नमस्कार वेलकम टू द एक्सेसिबल योगा पॉडकास्ट वेर वी एक्सप्लोर द कनेक्शन बिटवीन द एंशियंट टीचिंग ऑफ योगा इन द कॉन्टेक्स ऑफ द टाइम्स वी लिव इन दिस पॉडकास्ट इज ब्रॉट यू बाई द एक्सेसिबल योगा एसोसिएशन a non-profit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. I'm your co-host Anjali Rao. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Association Board of Directors. And I'm your co-host Shivana Hayman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of the Accessible Yoga Association. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Accessible Yoga podcast. I'm Shivana. My pronouns are he and him. I'm so excited to be joining you today. Uh, I'm actually living on Chumash land here, known as Santa Barbara, California today. And I'm here with Anjali. Hi, Anjali. Hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Anjali Rao, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with Jeevana about so many things today, but specifically going into um, accessibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I've mentioned before that You know, you're now the president of the board of accessible yoga and it's just so exciting to work with you and I'm constantly inspired by you and uh, learning from you so thank you for that uh, excited for this conversation i i think the theme we want to really talk broadly today about accessible yoga and i i think our theme is really that right understanding accessibility and i wondered if you want to start with some thoughts about that like what is accessibility to you mm-hmm. um yeah Well to me accessibility i think we need to look at it from a broader expansive way uh accessibility is not only talking about how we make asana accessible but how do we make the teachings accessible how do we connect the teachings to the times that we live in make it make it uh, approachable and relatable and um really identify like it in our mission statement identify the barriers to access and see how we can remove those barriers in in different ways so yeah. to me accessibility is about all of that it is not only offering uh, the physical practice in a way which is accessible but all the other uh, parts of yoga as well yeah i i i agree i think people really misunderstand what accessible yoga is about um, i mean i my work did my teaching started with sharing yoga with people with hiv and aids and then people with other disabilities it came out of my aids activism but accessible yoga to me it's it's um yoga is already accessible like it's already there it's a universal teaching that is that basically is saying we all share the same spiritual essence and that what we're trying to do is like you said remove the barriers to that experience so not only move barriers to yoga but actually remove barriers to the experience of that of that spiritual truth right that we that we have this wholeness that we are whole mm-hmm. and full already and i think that's what that's what like capitalism is doing and what we're always being told is that we need to get something and gain something but Yoga is like the opposite. You know, yoga is the opposite of capitalism. It's just saying you already have it inside. You have mm-hmm. everything you need it. And that's ultimately to me what accessible yoga is 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 that we're trying I think we're trying to share that truth that we already have what we need inside and let's figure out what's in the way and remove that barrier. Mm-hmm. Removing barrier. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Why is this important for us to talk about right now? Because I think we also hear that questions about um, does accessibility mean that we are oversimplifying something? Are we uh, reducing it to uh, reducing it to just a one a specific thing? So, uh, what are what are your thoughts, Jivina? Does accessibility oversimplify something, or does it add to it, or does it expand the teachings? Yeah. I think about that all the time. I think there's a lot of nuance there between making something accessible and oversimplifying. I, I think there is a danger in oversimplifying. And I think that's what we've seen happen, you know, in contemporary practice with this kind of obsession on asana as the goal of yoga. That's, to me, that's over, oversimplifying, actually, the practice. Accessibility to me is very different. That is, that means giving people access to the heart of the teachings. You know, the, yoga has a very complex uh, philosophy that is varied and has changed over history. There's a lot of different threads throughout, as you know, you know, that throughout the history of yoga. It's not all, there's not like one simple truth there. There's a lot of uh, complexity, but I think accessibility means helping people connect with it um, rather than have people feel left out. And I think there, there's many ways, like we mentioned the obstacles, like what are those obstacles to, to access? And I think it's not simply physical barriers. It's not simply saying physical, physically advanced asana is the goal. That's one barrier. But another kind of access, uh, barrier to access is like um, who holds the knowledge? Who has the wisdom? Right. Who, do you, who is a trusted source for information mm. about yoga? Is it a scholar because they have some kind of diploma? Right. Like, is that who we trust? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I think we need to look at that. Like, what do we look for uh, in our teachers even? And I think a lot of uh, like if you, look, if you were to look at the history of yoga, uh, as you said, it it is a it's a very checkered history, and there is a lot of contradictions <laughs> in in uh, in the history yeah. of yoga. It's not been always accessible. It has no. been uh, it has been taken uh, it has been co opted by so many systems of oppression, including patriarchy, cis had patriarchy, hmm. uh, colonization. So to really dismantle those threads and how those those threads of the yeah. past continue to manifest in modern yoga. And I think that is the work that we need to do to see how, for example, how cishet patriarchy has manifested. Yeah. Manifested in our history of yoga. Who are the ones who we go to as scholars? Who are the ones who are writing our texts? Who are the ones who we have uh, given them the status of expert? Um, you know, and 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 then see, oh yeah, those are the same threads that manifest in modern yoga spaces. Those are the same folks who are still getting attributed to uh, to knowledge holders, wisdom holders. So I think accessibility is really expanding uh, and understanding how the past has continued to impress mm. upon and shape the present. And I hope that this will also inform everyone, including ourselves, even as we begin to unravel those threads, that this is the same way in which other systems and institutions are shaped. Who are the ones who get, have the power to shape those 
and who continue to shape those. Yeah. So to go back to your to go back to your point about uh, you know who are the ones who we consider as experts, th- those are the same folks who are the who are the ones who are in power. Their voice gets heard more. So our work at Accessible Yoga is to also say there are and uplift and center folks who are wisdom holders but don't are necessarily are not a part of the dominant cultural identity. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. I think that's essential. I mean, I think we see it. I think we see it so often and we almost it's almost unconscious. You know, the way that we've been trained through culture is it's hard to see that. It's hard to see the you know, so I think it's a good reflection for, for me and for all of us to do is to really think about who is it that you think is the expert and why. You know? mm-hmm. And I think we've seen this also through like a history of abuse in recent yoga and maybe not just recent yoga, but maybe throughout yoga. But, you know, especially recently, there have been so many abusive gurus that have been revealed and exposed and the, the amazing amount of suffering that has been caused in that way because these people were put up as the experts and yet their behavior was actually incredibly harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's so interesting to me. I feel like that's another barrier, like a lack of ethics. You know, there's so many, there's so many obstacles to access. So there's, I, I think what it is is that accessibility has focused on um, ableism and physical access because Asana has been centered as the heart of yoga when that's not really true. But ableism is one obstacle. But then this other, like you mentioned, cishet patriarchy, you could look at each aspect of that, like um, cisgendered people, heterosexual people, patriarchal, like, you know, men <laughs> centering male, the male voice, mm-hmm. um, especially, um, yeah, straight men. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy for me to say as a queer man, because I definitely have the, a lot of power as a man, mm-hmm. but I see how the way, the way that straight men tend to be centered as experts so often in this conversation, even though if you look in the West, or like in, not the West, but if you look at the contemporary yoga scene, it's almost all not straight men. I mean, look who's practicing. Right. But it's our own con- conditioning. It's our own, you know, samskaras that we go to those folks as experts. And also caste is a big part of yeah. uh, who has defined and shaped yoga. Um, and that I think is a whole another different conversation that we that we should talk about. Um, but can you say a word about it? Just I just wonder if you could speak to how you see um, caste, like how it still has influenced yoga today, right? Absolutely. So caste is the one of the oldest uh, and ongoing systems of oppression that uh, even before white supremacy, it's the oldest. As Tenmodi Sandarajan talks about in her book, uh, The Trauma of Caste, um, it continues to impact every every institution, every system um, in in the South Asian. Uh, continents and diaspora. And when it comes to yoga, the threads of caste are so um, impactful and powerful that, and invisible because it is so omniscient. It is, uh, uh, and so to 
it's a whole different conversation because it is so uh, prevalent and continues to be so. Um, and I hope to delve into that in upcoming episodes uh, no. on on the podcast. But I, I had to just name that and bring that into the picture because a lot of our scholars, our, our uh, yoga teachers of the past and the present, including myself, have caste privilege. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, one of the big things about dismantling dismantling uh, privilege or understanding privileges to say that I have privilege to just acknowledge it, to name it. Um, Otherwise it goes unchecked. And I think unchecked privilege and power is a a big source of harm. Mm -hmm. Like what you were saying, uh, abuse has happened in yoga spaces in the past and continues to happen because also of holding of power. You know, Mm -hmm. it's power holding. It is individualistic leadership. And I think one of the things that has attracted me to work in Accessible Yoga uh, Association is the model of sort of a collective leadership. It's not one person deciding on something. It is multiple people deciding on something. And that can mean that it sometimes appears slower. It is slower (laughs) (laughs) because many of us have different positionalities and different opinions, but at least it means that it's not just you or me deciding on something it's a it's a committee and yeah. uh, and staff you know that's true <laughs> there's a lot of voices and it's a little chaotic but it feels it feels more um of like collective decision making between a board and a staff that's very diverse i feel like we we end up in a better place you know uh, also i think it keeps things more ethical when there isn't one voice who is leading everything, there's checks and balances within a system that are much more effective in the end. Um, I also just want to bring up racism because I think that is a huge obstacle to accessibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, again, is a theme that we've talked about on this podcast in the past, but uh, especially in contemporary and maybe in the past too, but contemporary practice, there's a huge, racism has a huge impact, especially yes. of who is the expert. You know, it's just so often uh, white people um, that are seen as the experts in yoga, which is ironic. Yeah, I think also because uh, of colonization and neocolonialism, yeah. neo- and it is, you know, they are, white people get access to uh grants to research and write books and mm-hmm. for folk and and ages generations of mentorship right we don't have uh, our and when i say our i'm just naming myself as a south asian as from somebody who is the first generation indian immigrant uh people like us are very new to the scholarship scene in mm-hmm. in a big way in a sustained way so i think um, that's why accessibility is far more uh, people who are getting access to, uh, you know, research journals, for example. Um, how many of us go into yoga research and yoga history? Uh, a lot of it is you have to pay to get the, to get access to those uh, obscure and esoteric texts, you know. So all those are all those are points of accessibility. Yeah. So going back to that question, then, um, do you see all these things coming together in some way, like the 
the, these obstacles. And we talked about, I, I guess I'm wondering about solutions. Like it feels like the solution that we're working on in accessible yoga is um, more of a communal decision-making uh, system to try not to center one voice, to be conscious about the influence of all these um, of all of these issues in in the way that we present programming. Like, what else can we be doing? Yeah, I think I think for uh, from where I uh, I'm learning and uh, seeing the work uh, expand or shift or even just uh, you know uh, integrate. Um, it is in, for example, we have programs which are workshops, which we have, which we are centering folks who are doing the work from different identities who are experienced and exp experts. It's just that we are putting the spotlight on that person who's already doing the work and who's already studied or, you know, holding that knowledge base and also having these community discussions. Mm. Um, I think that's, that, that has been one of the most beautiful and emergent as Adrian Marie Brown says, um, is that we are really bringing in folks who are, uh, in the front lines of so many movements, uh, advocates and uh, or community organizers, and having those really con uh, conversations, which are ch challenging sometimes to even hear, but talking about white supremacy, talking about uh, transphobia, talk you know all the racial justice and uh, South Asian erasure and. Uh, being a black yoga teacher, you know, all of that. So yeah. having those conversations and centering folks from different identities and positionalities, as well as work and lived experiences, I think um, bringing social change into the yoga world, because it has always been there, but because of capitalism, that is not really focused much on because one can't really make money out of conversations unless you're <laughs> unless you're Oprah Winfrey or something but <laughs> but um but really you know trying to get those conversations in and so that people can start learning and unlearning and uh saying hey this is also yoga how can I really practice interconnectedness uh and manifest that and embody that in in everyday life mm -hmm. yeah that's beautiful and I think for, for yoga teachers, I wonder if you have thoughts about what they could do. Like, what could yoga teachers do to approach this? I, it sounds like you're talking about maybe um, educating themselves, like just becoming more conscious of these issues, even though, you know, sometimes it can be painful to explore like your own racism or whatever. But I think it's important, right? It's important that you uh, as a person with privilege, like for me as a white person, I need to constantly be working on my racism. As a cisgendered person, I have to really look at my inner transphobia. Like I really have to address these issues constantly, especially when I hold privilege in that area. Absolutely. Um, I think you, you, all of us as yoga, first of all, we are all yoga practitioners. So how are we practicing yoga? And what are, what are we saying when we say we are practicing yoga? You know, um, having a conversation rooted in non-harming. Uh, is yoga you know so uh, if you're not doing that then what is your yoga practice 
So I think going back to your own practice as yoga teachers as, is, I think, one of the key things. And also saying that, you know, my yoga practice or my space where I practice is shaped by uh, so many things. It is shaped by politics. It is shaped by uh, the history. So to really see that connection and... Um, Notice who are coming to your classes. I, I shared on Instagram the other day and, you know, people were like, I thought that was a very simple sort of set of questions, but it, uh, it was, it seemed to connect for, to folks. So really notice who are coming to your classes, who yeah. are, who are the ones who you are quoting as experts, who are the ones who you invite, who are the ones who are left out? Who don't come to your classes i mean those are the questions that we need to ask and um all, and none of us are perfect right i mean to say hey i have messed up in the past that is a big deal to acknowledge that that we are all imperfect we are all learning uh to be generous for yourself to hold compassion for your own uh in sort of a for your own mistakes, for your mm -hmm. own errors, to your, for your own blind spots, to notice you have blind spots because of what you said, our culture conditioning. Yeah. I think so many, it's, it's an ongoing process. But this, this question about like, who, who are you teaching? Who is coming to your classes? I think for yoga teachers is very important because I, I saw something recently about, you know, you're not the teacher for everyone. This is a line that I think comes up a lot. And I've even shared that. I've even told people, okay, you're not the teacher for everyone. But I think we have to be very careful when we say that, because I think that can be an excuse to mask us from facing the work we need to do, you know, to keep us from really looking at um, why, why aren't people coming to you? And it could be that because of your, your scope of practice, like, oh, okay, I don't feel confident teaching people with disabilities because I haven't been trained in that area, but actually it's not okay to me. It's not okay to say that. I think, Yoga is a universal practice. As a yoga teacher, I feel like we take a vow to share the teachings to who comes. And sometimes you need to refer someone to someone, like an expert. If, if someone comes to me and they have some kind of specific interest, um, like if someone comes to me now and wants to study the Gita, I'm going to send them to you because I used to teach them, but now <laughs> I figure just go to Anjali. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's one thing to know how you can refer out to other people. But I also think it, this can be a, used as an excuse to not expand your teaching, to obsess on just asana mm. and think, oh, I don't, I don't have to teach everyone because I'm only trained in teaching this one kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? I mean, I think, like you said, it's a nuanced conversation uh, when you're saying when you're saying, uh, you know, I'm not the teacher for everyone. I, have you done? The, have I, I look at myself, for example, and I say, have I done the work? Have I been have I thought that the, something is important enough for me to get trained in it? Um, and yes, we have to be truthful about what our scope of our teaching is. I, I don't think I can teach people who have a certain uh, health issue if I haven't been taught that. So being very truthful, practicing satya in your scope is very important. And also saying you, this particular uh, modality is not my you know, expertise, but I can teach you something else. And that is also yoga. And, you know, having that conversation, if, if you have the capacity is important. And um, 
Yeah. So I think it's it's a far more nuanced conversation. And also it's a good thing for us to always keep at the back of our mind. Why is it that it is not what you want, what you can teach? Uh, and going back to the thing of who are the students who are coming to your class? Yeah. That's a big one because that, that's probably telling you or tell, it always tells me if I feel like only a certain group is coming uh, from a particular demographic is coming to my class or uh, if I'm only referring to a certain group of people as teachers, uh, as experts, as scholars, mm-hmm. as authors, am I expanding my own understanding of a particular concept or teaching? So when I, for, for example, when I study the Gita, when I share the Gita, am I only going to a certain one mm-hmm. author? you know, for or one translation. I always tell my students at least read three, four, yeah. uh, you know, because then you're really expanding your understanding of something. Yeah. And, and I, I addressed this recently. I, I just wrote an article for Yoga Journal about, you know, do, do 200 hour trainings prepare you to teach everyone? No. And I hands. realized they don't. Yes. But I, the, the point I was trying to make in the article is that um, I had worked on a a committee with Yoga Alliance years ago to create a new code of conduct, which is really beautiful message. It's a message of um, inclusivity and openness that is really at the heart of accessible yoga. And they, they included that in their code of conduct, but I don't think we're following through with that. You know, I think just mm-hmm. like you mentioned earlier about Ahimsa, I'm not sure that our ethical practices are found in the practical ways that we teach right like our our so that, i guess that's my question for for yoga teachers is is that it, are your classes an, an expression of your ethical values based in, mm. in the yoga principles and i would say that's really the question behind are you the teacher for everyone mm. it's like whoever comes to you no matter what their disability is their race their background whatever it is they're, you know, if they might be coming to you for something you have, you know, like yeah. everyone can learn from the, about the Gita from you. It doesn't matter what disability they have or um, race or gender or anything or caste even. Well, that's an issue, I guess. Well, we'll I talk think, about in the future. <laughs> yeah. I, I think also, you know, people who, uh, who are coming to you for a specific thing are typically coming for asana. So I think we are again going back to centering asana as the practice of yoga, right? I mean, when those sort of statements say that people say, I'm not the teacher for everyone, I think typically are taught, are told by folks who are referring to asana. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are practices which, and there are teachings which, like you say, we uh, we can share with anyone, but that's not the typical yoga student. Um, People don't want, when people say, even now I get, when I say I'm a yoga teacher, people assume immediately that I'm an asana teacher. Um, And even from from my friends who don't practice quote unquote yoga, when I say I'm a yoga teacher, they say, oh, I'm not into yoga. I I, I'm not flexible. Like yeah. even now, after yeah. so many years, I still get that. And and that shows how much of uh, yoga ha- has been appropriated and completely co-opted into a physical modality. We have yeah. our work cut out yeah. for us uh, yeah. when we talk about it, you know. But I, I would just say that's it. That that for me, when I, when I go to adapt practice, you know, um, 
I'm not basing it on physical things. Like I change, you know, I adapt yoga for anyone. That's what I, that's the work I do. And often asana, I'm adapting asana a lot, but actually the way I'm doing it is based on the deeper teachings. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, actually what we're working on is more subtle layers. We're working on the breath or on the mind Mm -hmm. um, or on, you know, they're working with energy. And I think that's, that's the way we make the physical practice accessible actually is by letting go of this obsession with the body and, and really looking at what yoga is about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, I, I think, I think we covered that pretty well. I want to spend time talking about something else. Is that okay? Can we shift? Yes, absolutely. I'm excited that we have some, um, an announcement to make, which is that you're launching a new podcast. Yes. Um, do you want to tell us about that? Yes, I am. I'm really excited and really, really honored and thrilled that I will be the host of a new podcast uh, hosted and presented by Accessible Yoga. And the name of the podcast is For the Love of Yoga. Hmm. And I chose this name because I think it is uh, uh, something that I always go back to that we need something in the world today that is a connector. There is enough of uh, and more of people being divided. Uh, And so what is the thing that we are connected to in this context, which is our love and the teachings of yoga? So what if we use the teachings of yoga, our love for yoga, to have conversations? Um, And it's the vision that I have is to really share the ancient teachings of yoga and connect it in service to the times that we live in. And I see this happening in two different ways. One is to connect yoga scholars and researchers and um, experienced teachers from all over the world. Like I really want to uplift teachers from all over the world who are researching specific, uh, mm-hmm. specific, specific niche of uh, yoga and connecting them to yoga practitioners and students. And I really want to look at how we can dismantle the elitism of uh, yoga scholarship. Mm-hmm. Sort of bridging the chasm between yoga academia and yoga everyday yoga practitioners. Because I think there's a thirst, right? Uh, I know I, I, I'm still a nerd who really wants to study <laughs> and learn and listen, right? And I also see it happening in another way, which is uplifting uh, social change makers, community organizers and activists, frontline activists who are actually just living the teachings of yoga Mm -hmm. and bringing that into the yoga space, because it is actually that it is. It is. The living the teachings of yoga in service to the times that we live in. So in two different ways, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's the podcast um yeah that's exciting yeah i mean actually i I feel like it's going back to what we talked about earlier what you're just saying about yoga scholars i mean in a way well if you take scholars researchers experienced teachers and if you can find a way to make their work accessible right that's the work of accessible yoga to be able to share it um more broadly yeah um and it doesn't have to be oversimplifying but actually making it understandable and i think that's a great plan for a podcast right those conversations where you can help to get to the heart of what someone is working on or what they're trying to say or share yeah um, 
and i think you know the uh, yoga is like a vast ocean right and uh, we only like look at a few drops and think that is what yoga is so i really want to like broaden everyone's um, notions of what yoga even is what even is yoga like that yeah. is what is i think really going to be critical uh, and fun to really delve into and i hope to increase um, people's uh, not only understanding our you know in a cognitive level of what yoga is but then to really take it into their hearts and say there are possibilities here there are inherent contradictions within the yoga world itself there are mm-hmm. so many paradoxes there are so many complexities so right now we are so prone to like very binary thinking where we are like either this is good and bad yeah. we are uh, i'm uh, us and them you know so by looking at complexities of uh, that are inherent within the yoga practice and the teachings i hope to then say hey let's look at the world let's look at each other <laughs> <laughs> that's the hope that's the intention that's amazing and so exciting i'm i'm really i'm so excited for us you know as uh, as an organization that you are going to be doing this podcast and i'm excited for the yoga world that, that you'll be having these conversations too and and really trying to highlight this this we're trying to um kind of make these bridges between different parts of the yoga community um, and uplift people who are doing important work too. I think it's, it's very, very exciting. So thank you. I can't wait. Can't wait for that to come out, which will be soon, right? Maybe in a few weeks. In In a a few weeks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jivna. I'm so uh, honored and thrilled to, you know, to have your trust. Mm. And to and to have the backing of the organization in this. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's very exciting for us. So please, everyone, stay tuned uh, for Anjali's new podcast, For the Love of Yoga. That'll be coming out uh, in a few weeks. Thanks, Anjali. Anything else you want to share today? That's it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Jeevana. Yeah, thanks, Anjali. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an ambassador and support the work that we're doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guests you would like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.